You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Isn't that the truth this morning, that Jesus is worthy? As we pray, I just want to uh, pray for specifically those today in our church who've been through rough weeks. Anyone here been through a rough week this week? You don't have to put your hand up. You can just nod in agreement. It seems that the enemy's working overtime this week in a lot of our people, and um, the battle's been real, I know, for many of you, and uh, we're mourning with three families who've lost uh, loved ones this week, and it's been a hard week. And yet even in the hard weeks, you know what we know? That God is still worthy, amen? Why don't we pray together today and just remind ourselves and lift our voices to the Lord, telling him that he is worthy in our best weeks and in our hardest weeks, that he is still worthy. Lord, what an awesome privilege it is today simply to stop the busyness of our weeks and to come into your house with your people and lift high the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Oh God, we confess today that there is none like you, oh Lord. You are the Lord of all. You're the Lord of our best weeks. You're the Lord of our hardest weeks. Thank you, oh God, that as we come together today to worship you, we know that in the midst of the busyness and the, and the harshness sometimes of life and the busyness of the whirlwind of life, we know that two things always remain unchanged, the nature of our God and the truth of your word. What a comfort that is to us, oh God, to know. Thank you, O God, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you're our rock, that you're our refuge, that we can come to you with our greatest joys, we can come to you with our greatest needs, and thank you, O God, that you promised to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for an unchanging nature, O Lord. Thank you, God, for your word, which, which at times challenges us and convicts us, but other times it's so sweet to our souls and it encourages us and it nourishes us in all times. Thank you, O God. I pray today specifically for those at our church who've had hard weeks, God, we know that the enemy has been whispering lies in so many minds and hearts. The enemy has been uh, even putting hardness in hearts. Father, I pray that they would, those who've been through that kind of week would come to you today, God, and just say, God, I just want you again. I just want the fullness of you again in my life. God, our hearts go out to those in our church who are grieving uh, this day. Such a hard week for many who've uh, lost loved ones, an uncle, a mother, a child. Thank you, O Lord, for your sustaining grace when we are weak. For you promise us when we are weak, O God, you are strong. Lord, would you be the God of all comfort? Today, to those who mourn, Thank you, Lord, that we have hope. And our hope is in you, oh Jesus. Thank you that we can go through hard weeks and we can mourn. But we have the hope of a God who is with us and we have the hope of eternity coming. And there is even joy in the midst of suffering. God, as we open up your word today, all we're here for is to hear from you. So speak to us, God. May we put aside what we think we want to hear, what we think we need to hear. And would you give us your word today? Not mine, yours. 
We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for you in our lives. We're so thankful that we have a church that's founded on you. We're so thankful for each other. But most of all, we're thankful for you, Jesus. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Right, the book of Acts is where we are today, Acts chapter 8. As you turn there, if you don't have a Bible, one of our ushers will be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. Please put your hand up and uh, follow along with us. Take it home with you. Uh, no greater gift we can give you than the very living words of God. Acts chapter 8, as you turn there, I just want to... Uh, give you a few uh, reminders of things that are coming up. It's an action-packed year coming up and uh, starts with this, starts with prayer and praise on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Spurgeon said this, the prayerful church is a powerful church. I add this, the prayerful life is the powerful life and so we can't miss prayer and praise. I know you've got lots of things going on, nothing more important than getting together the church to praying. And I know you're like me, you want God to move in such powerful ways this coming year. You know where it starts? Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, prayer time. Uh, you need to be there along with us to pray. You won't regret it for sure. Uh, nothing greater than drawing near to the Lord. Second thing I want to remind you of uh, next week is uh, Discipleship 101. And we really want to put an emphasis this year on, on, on really ramping up discipleship and ramping up growing and, and reaching out and helping people grow in their faith. And so Discipleship 101 is one of the ways that we are doing this. It's a new course that we're doing sort of like Alpha, sort of like Christianity Explored, kind of like a big bang in the middle. And uh, out comes Discipleship 101. And so so uh, if you're a new believer and still trying to figure out this whole thing called faith, this is for you. If you're here and you're kind of like trying to figure Jesus out for the first time and you're like, I don't really get all this stuff, this is also for you. If you're not, if you're, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. How can I be in Discipleship 101? This is actually for you. And so 11.15 for the next like eight weeks, I encourage you to sign up. And if you know someone that needs to be there, come first service, bring them, and then go there with them second service. It's a great uh, opportunity for uh, your, you or your friends to have to get answers to the questions you have. So Discipleship Discipleship 101 starting next week. Also, I'm excited about this starting uh, in February. Uh, first week of February is uh, recovery ministry. And so we know that the enemy, one of his greatest tactics is to get us into addictions and to get us into places where we feel like we're in bondage, we can't move, and, and yet the Lord has given us freedom in Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're starting a recovery ministry here at our church, and I'm really excited about that. And so uh, that's going to be starting in February. So if you know, if you're battling with an addiction right now, and you're like, oh, I'm just, I can't get out of it, and whatever it is, I just can't, I can't, I can't seem to get out of it, Christ has offered you freedom. We want to help you get there. Come and sign up and be a part of that. There's no shame in being uh, released from your bondage of sin. If you know somebody who's, who's in this battle, and they, they've tried everything. They've tried programs. They've tried their own, their own strength, and they can't do it. Like, bring them out and get them there. Uh, we're trusting that Jesus is really going to meet people through this, through this um, and not a program, but through this ministry as we open up God's word and help people see the freedom that Jesus offers. So recovery ministry is coming up, and there's so much more happening in 2017 that I can't roll out quite yet, but I just want you to know this is a church. This is a year that we're not just going to study about being on mission. We are going to be on mission. Amen. This is the year we want to get out of our comfort zones. We want to get out of beyond these four walls. We want to reach out. And so we've got some things on the radar that are coming soon uh, that I just encourage you not just to be like, yay, look what our church is doing, but to jump in on and be a part of as we take the message of Jesus beyond here to the community around us. And uh, so we're really excited what God is doing. 
Uh, really, that's what Acts 8 is about. Acts 8 is about a life on mission. It's the theme of the rest of the book of Acts that we're going to be studying now till June. And uh, we know that we can know the gospel, we can uh, love the gospel, but God calls us to actually live the gospel. So this is a study that we don't just want to know in our heads, we want to live this out. We hear this all the time in the church that God has called us to be a missional people living intentionally to maximize our lives for the purposes of God. And there's so much more, let's be honest, there's so much more than simply living our lives to try and keep our noses clean and not sin. You know that, right? There's so much more to the Christian life than just trying to not sin. If that's all there was to it, my hamster from grade five would have been the perfect example for us. Never heard a peep out of him. All he did all day long was run on his wheel and eat and dig tunnels. There's more to it than that. We're called to get out of our four walls and to take the gospel to those around us that so desperately need to hear. And this is where your life is found and where vitality in your soul is found. And not just, not just living within the confines of a nice, tidy, cozy Christian community, but actually getting out beyond to take the message of Jesus Christ. And so Acts 8, the second half of Acts 8 is simply this. It's a on mission 101. It's a clear and practical call to get going on God's mission. I know some of you are like, yeah, I want to, I want to. How do I do it? How do I do it? Here's what we learn in Acts chapter 8. We learn how to be on mission for Jesus, step-by-step guide to get going for Jesus. It's an intro to the life that we've been called to live and the rest of what uh, this series is going to play out. And so let me read for you uh, Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's your invitation today on mission. Let's go. On mission, let's go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place and he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So what did Philip do? He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is not a coincidence. He just so happened to be reading this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And in his, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but yet he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Acts chapter 8, the second half of Acts chapter 8 is simply this, is a call for us to be like Philip and be on mission for Jesus Christ. And here's how we do it. We follow Philip's example. When it comes to being on mission for Jesus Christ, here's the first thing I want you to write down. I must be ready and willing to fulfill God's mandate. 
when it comes to being on mission for Jesus Christ, when it comes to actually living out the Christian life, getting beyond our bubbles, I must be ready and willing to fulfill God's mandate. Here's what Philip teaches us, simply this, I am always on active duty for Jesus. Like a good soldier is always geared up and ready to go at the call of the commander, so is every believer ready to get up and go at the call of the Lord. Don't you see that happening in Acts chapter 8? Here's the mindset of Philip. He's just finished preaching his guts out in Samaria, right? And the revivals happened, and Simon's part of that. We started that last week, and, and so now he's kind of taking a little break. He's probably like sitting back, and he's reminiscing, wow, look what God did, and probably rejuvenating the soul a little bit, and then an angel of the Lord shows up, and he's kind of like, hey, Philip, hey, Philip, what's going on? You hanging out today? So much more to do than hang out and like glory about past successes, and yeah, there's a time for vacation, but there's so much more going on, and so he says to Philip, he says, hey, Philip, rise up, look, now an angel of the Lord says, rise up, rise up and go towards the south. Let's get going, Philip. God has an urgent plan that's beyond just yesterday and goes into today. This kingdom of God thing is urgent. So he calls him to go, on to the, go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You're thinking, that's not a big deal. That is a big deal in this time. Gaza was one of the five chief cities of the Philistines and the last water stop before Egypt. And so it was a pagan nation. It was the enemies. Who was a Philistine? Remember who was a Philistine? Goliath. This is where he's heading down towards. And two roads came from Jerusalem to Egypt. There was a desert one, the one less traveled. There was a main one, the one main traveled. And so God says, hey, go down towards Gaza on the desert path, the one that's least traveled. I'm sure this would have caused confusion for Philip. Really? Desert? Hot? Dry? You want me to go this long, hard path? And yet I love his response. He doesn't, just, he doesn't question it. What does he do? What does he do? He goes. And he rose and he went. Think about this for a minute. Hey, I want you to go into the middle of nowhere and do who knows what. Great, God, I'm in. There, he so happens to run into this Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, you can ask your mom and dad on the way home. If your mom and dad don't know what it is, ask one of the elders on the way out. Or David, he's got a really good explanation for this. I'll throw him under the bus today. <laughs> That's my cop-out for the morning. No more cop-outs, but I'm not going there with you. Great Pfizer in service, you get it. But what he was, he was the minister of finance probably for the, uh, the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. He's in charge of all of her treasure, and he runs into this guy who's coming from Jerusalem to worship. And this is kind of an odd scene, this foreigner going to Jerusalem to worship. So, so what's this mean? Who is, he, who is this this this? Finance treasurer of Ethiopia. He's obviously a God seeker. You know why? Because no one went to Jerusalem to worship for, as a foreigner because they knew they couldn't get in the temple. And they knew, knew they could probably never be fully embraced by the faith. And so he's just, here's this guy going to Jerusalem trying to figure this whole God thing out. Something of God is stirring in his heart. Even though he had some prestige and some power, something was empty, and so he's seeking after God. And so here he is on the way home from Jerusalem. He went to worship. He has no clue what was happening there because he went home. He probably bought this scroll for a good amount of money to try and figure out this whole God thing. And so there he's trying to figure this whole thing out. And lo and behold, by chance, right, Philip stumbles upon him. And we see this awesome encounter of what's going to be of God proportions with a man who desperately needs to know Jesus and another man who simply just wanted to follow the call of God and be used wherever he could in the life that God had given him. 
Let's be honest, I think about this whole on mission thing. I think we make it all kinds of things, it's not. I think we build this up to like, oh, I'm going to be on mission. What's that mean? What's that look like? I think Philip shows us exactly what it looks like to live our lives to the max for the glory of God and be on mission for him. And quite honestly, quite honestly, it's not that difficult to understand. First point we understand from these first first few verses is this, from Philip's life. If we're going to be on mission together this coming year, here's one thing you need to know just from these first few verses. Like an ambassador is is always an ambassador, whether they're on duty or off duty. So we are always ambassadors of Jesus Christ and always on duty. That's what Philip's teaching us. I'm doing my own thing now. God, God's like, ah, don't don't forget. It's not just when you're in office and when you're preaching that you're an ambassador for me. Like we, we have another mission for you. And it's really not about, it's really not about, I don't think, as Philip teaches, it's really not about what I do being on mission. It's about who I am first and foremost. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, I am ready to heed the voice of the Lord. I'm ready and willing to fulfill God's mandate. How do you do that? Number, point number one, sub-point number one is this. I, I'm ready to listen to the voice of God. I'm ready to listen to the voice of God. Notice in this text who initiates the whole mission. God does. God's mission is always initiated by God. What's our role in the whole being ready to be used of the Lord? It's being ready and eager to listen to the voice of the Lord. Like a doctor always has a pager that he carries around, so we always have the Holy Spirit within us to page us to God's agenda. I think the struggle is we get so consumed with our own things, we forget that we're always on call for the Lord, that that the Holy Spirit wants to like ding, ding, ding in our souls sometimes to, to actually get off of our plans and get onto his plan to reach out to people around us. Our job and this whole thing about being on mission, our first job, which I think we miss a lot, we do really well at talking to God. One thing we really miss out on a lot is listening to God. And so our job, first and foremost, if we're gonna be on mission with him together in 2017 is to be men and women who have ears open to the call of God. How do we do that? Because it's so subjective. Here's how we do that. In the word of God, we're students of the word of God. How do we know God's will? Through the word of God. How do we know the voice of the Lord? Through prayer. Not just the quick prayers before breakfast and before lunch and before bed, but like spending time actually diving into the word of God and communicating with God and and not just telling God about your day, but letting God speak into your heart and the quietness of your spirit. How else do we hear the voice of God in in holiness? Let's be honest, if we're living in sin, and sin's like an earwax to the voice of God. If we're living in sin, we're not gonna hear anything from God. How many of us so often run through our lives and we're like, I'm trying to hear from God, trying to hear from God, but you're not even being obedient to the basic tenets of God. Never heard God call me on mission. God's called us all on mission. If you haven't heard, it's because your maybe your ears are too clogged with sin. It's in holiness. It's also in surrender. All right, God, this is your life. Not mine, this is your day, not mine. This is your week, this is your month, not mine. Sort of like Isaiah, here I am, God, use me. I get it, it sounds so subjective, even as you look at Philip's life, you're like, really like an angel of the Lord? Like, I wish an angel of the Lord would come to me. We have something greater than an angel of the Lord to come to us with the Holy Spirit living within us. To prompt us to the mission of Jesus and Here's what I think about, as I think about my own life, as I think about after interacting with believers for a long time, about this whole listening to the voice of God thing, I think it's so subjective that we fool ourselves sometimes into like talking ourselves out of things that God is calling us to. With questions like, was that me or was that God? Well, I think God wanted me to do it, but I'm not sure. 
We have that debate in our heads. We talk to other people trying to figure it out. And here's what I want to encourage you with. What did, what did Philip do? He heard and what did he do? He did it. I think sometimes we have to stop the debate. Because let's be honest, you and I, most of the time we're self-centered. We don't notice things around us. We don't, we don't notice the voice of the Lord. When God prompts us to do something of spiritual significance for him, I think we ought to Stop questioning and stop dialoguing about it in our heads and just do it. Next time you hear the voice of the Lord prompting you to send someone a text and see how they're doing, just do it. Next time you hear the voice of the Lord prompting you to give someone a coffee invite to get a face-to-face conversation, just do it. Next time you hear the voice of the Lord prompting you to drop that meal off or stop and have that conversation or take time to meet that need instead of debating it, just do it. Think how productive in ministry we we would be if we all just listened to the voice of the Lord like Philip did. Number one is listen to God's voice. Number two, sub-point is this, leap onto God's path. We see Philip doing that right here. Must have been a weird sense within Philip. Middle of the day, take the desert path. Isn't ministry about people? There's gonna be no one on that path. And, And I said it earlier, but I love it because... It's so opposite of what we're prone to do. Philip is just like, I'm in. Let's do it. He doesn't argue. He doesn't question. He just does it. How many of us miss out on the mission of God because it doesn't make sense to us or it doesn't fall along with my logical plan for what God would have me do in my life? So many of us are like, I'm going to throw my son under the bus this morning. I'll give him a piece of pizza after to make up for it. But so many of us are sort of like my son, sometimes like my son, on Thursday mornings, we ask him to do the garbage. He's at garbage day, can you do it? Huh, is it really garbage day, Dad? Uh-huh. Do I have to? Yep. Is it full? Yep. Do I have time? Nope. Can you do it? Uh-uh, that's why I had kids. <laughs> it's not fair. Nope, not really. Let's go. Hop, hop. It's really not that hard of a task. It gets done every week. It's not always like that, but sometimes like that. This week, just for the record, it was like A+. But I think that's sometimes how we respond to the mission of God. God, do I have to? Isn't there somebody else to do it? It's going to be hard. It's raining out. It's, what if it takes me to the desert place? What if it's not as glamorous as I picture ministry to be? What if it makes me uncomfortable? What if it takes out of my, my hockey watching time and my, you get it, right? Here's the key, if we're gonna be on mission together for Jesus, it's simply men and women being willing to leap onto God's path and having a missionary mindset. In North America in 2017, we've lost the missionary mindset of the early 1800s. Early 1800s, I love reading the missionary biographies of how they heard the voice of the Lord and, and like, hey, go to China. Really, China? Like, they haven't seen, they didn't see the internet, see pictures, they didn't have travel plans. You know what they did? They'd pack up, get this, caskets, get their one-way ticket to wherever God was calling them to go, caskets, because they knew that that's how they were gonna get home. China, Africa, Philippines, wherever you call me, God, I'm going. How many of us really want to be used of God this year, want to really see God work powerfully through our lives, and yet yet we're so reluctant to leap onto the path of God? And maybe not Africa or China, but just the the street that you live live on, the, the place where you work, 
the circle of friends that you run with. On mission means I'm willing to leap onto the path of God. We see that in Philip's life. We also see this. To be on mission means we're willing to look and see where God is working. We have eyes wide looking for God's activity. Picture Philip, he's, okay, God, on desert road, okay, I'm here for a purpose. What's it for? Why am I here? Can, can you picture? He's, he's a pretty eager guy, doesn't he? Doesn't seem like passive, laid back. He's more of a like, okay, let's go. Eyes wide for God's activity. He must have understood John 5.17. What is John 5.17? Jesus says this. He says, hey, realize this. God is always working everywhere, all the time. God is always at work. What's our role in the mission? Simply see where God is working and join him in it. Again, I think it's a concept we get, but we can learn so much from Philip. I think here's how we run today in Christian circles. We get so caught up in driving from Christian event to Christian event to Christian event, being a good Christian, that we sometimes fail to see the needs, uh, the reality of the needy and hurting world around us. But I thought you'd tell us, Pastor, that Christians are supposed to have our blinders on like horses and, and, and focus on the kingdom. Yes, in one sense, the blinders to focus on the eternal destiny and the goal of Jesus, to focus on our Lord and King, but also as we, as we go throughout life to always be keenly aware, alert, looking for opportunities to, to serve those around us. I think of my wife's brother in high school. He had uh, taken his first aid course and he never went anywhere without his first aid kit. We'd laugh at him, Joe, what do you bring the first aid kit for? He's like, you never know. You're right, you never know. We're going to the basement right now. <laughs> but yet ready and eager, there's a need. He's like, I, I wanna meet that need. Is that how you run through life? It's how Jesus ran through life. Jesus actually was called a friend of sinners. He actually entered a world of, of, of sin to, to minister to us and to save our souls. He went to places that got him in trouble. He was out there rubbing shoulders with the lame and the leprous and the unlovable. He had his eyes wide open to those around him that so desperately needed the touch of a living God. I long to be like Jesus, don't you? I'm like you. I'm not dissing you this morning. I'm like you. It drives me crazy that we're all the same. Got this to go to and that to go to. Meanwhile, we drive by the guy at the corner every Sunday. You know what I'm talking about, right? Getting off at Glendale because we're so eager to get to church, failing to see the needs around us. We have the lunch conversation with our coworkers and we, we fail to realize in their voices the emptiness of another partying weekend that left them feeling desolate and, and hopeless. We sometimes fail to see even the, the, the neighbors that we say hello to on a daily or weekly basis struggling through their life of loneliness. Deep down longing for a God or any kind of contact with someone that would love them. On mission from Philip's life is I think what we ought to recommit to this year. Listen to the voice of God. Leaping onto God's path and looking to see where God is working. Is that on your like to-do list for 2017? Is that on your like a hope to accomplish? Is man, I want I want to see God do things through my life that only He can do. It starts with these three simple commitments. These three, three simple things every day to put on your list of like today, I want to, Lord, today, I want to listen to your voice. 
speak to me, God. Today I want to be on your agenda, not mine. Show me, O Lord. Today I want to walk through life eyes wide open to those people around me that need so desperately the touch of a Savior. I want this year to be the hands and feet of Jesus like never before. burning on my heart. I pray it's burning on your heart. If I don't want to be a church that gets to the end of Acts. has all the little notes on our table somewhere. Remember that study on Acts? That was amazing. I want to be a church that experiences Acts. Don't you? I want to be a church that experiences Acts. On mission, first point is this, where we need to listen, leap, and look, and be always ready and, and, and eager to join God in what he is doing. It's our mandate. Philip goes on to show us our message, and it's a message we've heard before, but this is our message to rekindle in our hearts the reality of the message that we're to share. It's not just about being good people. It's not just about ministering to physical needs and being available for people. This is the message that we ultimately want to share with everybody, the message of a Jesus that came to love us and save us from our sins. So look what Philip does as he's alert and ready. God, what are you doing? I, Philip is quick to rush to gospel opportunities. Philip is quick to rush to gospel opportunities. Philip, eyes wide, comes across this Ethiopian royalty. And he sees him sitting there, sees him sitting there reading the Bible. That ought to be like a ding, 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 God's doing something here, Right? It's like when those coworkers ask you spiritual questions, like ding, 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 this is a time I should have a conversation with this person. Or the person on the soccer sidelines is expressing hopelessness, ding, 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 Philip gets it, and so he, he jumps right in, and he says, he's, he's prompted by God again, but, but God's gonna do that, right? The Holy Spirit's not just gonna lead us somewhere and then not prompt us what to do next. It's not just gonna lead us to call somebody and not prompt us what to do next, or stop and meet someone's need, not prompt us what to do next. And so he bolts over and he asks, do you, know what, do you know what you're reading? Do you, do you understand the full reality of what you're reading? The eunuch looks at him and he's like, of course not. I was just going to Google that. But even better than Google is like a man of God explaining it to me face to face. So basically asks him, he's like, I don't know. And he's reading from Isaiah and he's like, what does this all mean? Look at verse 32. Don't you love how God cues it all up for Philip? He just cues it up, and we're, when we follow God is on mission, on mission, and we follow God's leading, guess what he does? He, 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 he lobs us the ball just to hit it out of the park. Look at this. It's not like Philip really had to do anything. He just had to explain it. What, what's this mean? Look at verse 32. This is from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? So is this describing like Isaiah? Is this describing like another prophet? Like, what is this all about? Philip, like, I am so glad you asked. I would love to explain that to you. It's not a story about farm animals. It's not a story about great guys here on earth. This is actually a story about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is coming from heaven to earth to actually live out this reality that you and I might be reconciled to a holy God. This passage is actually describing Jesus Christ. You want to know what God looks like? You've been seeking God. You went to Jerusalem to seek God. You went to worship God. Do you want to know what God really looks like? God is like a lamb. 
pure and holy and innocent. And he is a God that loves you so much that he was willing to be just like a little lamb being led to slaughter. That you could be forgiven of your sins, be reconciled to your heavenly father, and have all the hope of the abundant life that he promises you in your soul. Doesn't say what he explained about this, but he explained this, I'm sure, because he was studying Old Testament, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm not sure, I think, it could be, that he probably went back to like the Exodus. Remember, remember the story of the Exodus? Everyone in this region's heard that. And the, the, the lamb that was slaughtered for the people, remember the, the, the night before the, the angel of death came and they slaughtered that little lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts. All that was to show you, the, 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 the Passover lamb was just to show you that this is the reality for all human beings that trust in the lamb of God, that put their hope in the blood of the lamb of God. Jesus came and he willingly allowed himself to be killed like a sheep being led to slaughter. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? The son of God coming. Why? Because he loves us that much. That's the only way he could pay the penalty for our sin. Isn't it hard to believe the son of God coming and and being like a little lamb being led to slaughter? Allowing his enemies to beat him and kill him when all he could have done is like, angel, stop this nonsense. And they would have dropped dead. A God who came and even in the midst of it, the accusations and the ridicule and the mockery, the mock of the king of all kings, he, he could have like, silence! And their tongues would have fallen out of their faces. But instead, you know what he did? He chose to be silent. The exalted one allowed himself to be humiliated. The, the God of all justice, he was the the God of all justice allowed himself to be put before fake trials and mock trials and, and sham trials and allow his life to be taken from us, taken from him for us. Eunuch's like, this is God? I'm sure he's like, what? This is God, Jesus Christ, the life that was taken that yours might be given. It doesn't say in the text, but... You can't help but see the love of God in this passage, can you? Like, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Mr. Eunuch, sir, this is Jesus. He laid his life down for you. It's even hard for me to still fathom some days, isn't it? We, get, we make a pretty big deal out of people who are willing to like give a kidney to somebody else. Wow, look how amazing they are. They must love them so much. I had a prophet in college that, that we prayed for him and we celebrated him and it was such a big deal for us as he gave his, his kidney to his sister who was sick. And, and yet Jesus Christ didn't just give us a part of himself. He gave us the whole thing. This is the gospel message that we are to be quick to rush to tell. This is the gospel. If you look at this whole uh, idea of the gospel moving forward uh, in the whole book of Acts, this is the gospel now going beyond Jerusalem. It goes to Samaria. This is the gospel now penetrating a whole different race. The Ethiopian is not a Jewish person. You get that, right? Hopefully you've put that connection together. Ethiopia's in a whole new region. This is the gospel expanding and exploding into every race and nation and tribe and tongue. 
And this is, this is Jesus' mission for Philip. This is Jesus' mission for our church. And this is why we're on mission, because Jesus was on mission. This is why Philip has joy. This is why we have joy as we share Jesus, because, because Jesus put on display his love for us on the cross, and so now we'll do whatever we can. We'll race to opportunities to put on his love for display on anyone who'll listen, on display for anyone who'll listen. We get it. To those who are dying, this message is foolishness. It's death. But to those who are being drawn by God, this message is wisdom and life. Romans 10, 14 to 16 tells us our mission. What's our mission? Is to share the love of Jesus. Yes, there's a reality of sin that comes out in our message because we have to know we need a Savior, but it's ultimately to share the reality of we are sinners who are in desperately need of a Savior. And apart from Jesus, we're dead and hopeless and helpless and we'll spend an eternity in hell away from him. How much more the love of Jesus comes alive. And so here's what Romans 10 tells us. This is our mission to rush quick to gospel opportunities. Listen to Romans 10, 14 to 16. If this is truth, if this is what every person needs to know, every person in St. Catharines, every person in Niagara Falls and Font Hill and Grimsby and Welland and Fort Erie and every little nook and cranny of where you come from, this is our mission. They need to hear it. Here's our mission. How then will they call upon him whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of Jesus Christ. I love, I love the exuberance of Philip in this passage. I wish we could catch a bit of his passion, don't you? just a glimpse of his passion. Because we do a lot of running in life. Kids to sports. I won't list them all, you know. But when was the last time that we abandoned everything to run to a gospel opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ? Not even dropping money in someone's hand but to actually stop and tell them, you know what, I am doing this because I have a God who loves me and I want to share this same love with you right now in this moment. Take it or leave it. I just want to be faithful to my Lord and Savior. I ask myself a lot, how, how come we're not like this anymore? Not all of us, but, but how come the majority of us just aren't like this? I know the answer from my own heart. It comes down to selfishness. Might not be your answer, but I just encourage you right now, just probe your own heart again today. This is the greatest news we could ever share. If I had the cure for cancer, I'd be standing on the street corner with that guy holding it up for everybody that came. This is our greatest delight as we're on mission for Jesus to share the truth of a simple gospel. And look what happens. Look what happens as Philip shares. Uh, it's not about him convincing anybody. I don't see any great apologetics. I don't see any mention of any, any uh, elaborate illustrations. I, I just see him saying, you, you want to know who this is? God's already working. I'll just simply tell you who it is and let God do the rest. And as the eunuch said to Philip, about whom do I ask? Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture. Notice this. It's simply about us explaining scripture. 
I gotta figure out how to tell these people about all these things. Just bring your Bible with you and open it. It's the easiest way. Let the, word, let the power of God do the rest. Let the word of God speak for itself and fend for itself. He simply told them the good news about Jesus and as they're going along the road, obviously something's happening in his heart. They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Clearly somewhere in the gospel presentation is the reality, okay, here's what God's done for you. Now, if you're gonna respond to God, here's what you do for God. You, you repent of your sin, you turn to him by faith and then you follow him in the waters of baptism. Somewhere clearly it had to be shared because this guy wouldn't have instinctively known that. Known that. I think it's another area we often miss in our gospel calls. We like to share, but then we, we're too shy to say, hey, hey, now respond. What do you want to do with this? How are you going to respond to this? Philip calls a response, and the response that we have to the gospel is always an active response, not a passive response. And so we see here clearly in this, this passage that to love Jesus means I'm willing to identify with him in the waters of baptism. Somewhere between 36 and 38 is verse 37. Do you see it in your Bibles? Read verse 37 with me. Read it. Oh, you don't have it. It's not there. Isn't that weird? Illegal. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cheated. Because part of, here's, here's 37 is missing. I have to explain this to you. So earliest translations of the Bible, 37 is there. Not in the earliest, in the, in the, uh, Translations a little bit later than the earliest ones, verse 37 is there. Earliest translations is not there. So there's been this debate about like, is it supposed to be there? Is it not supposed to be there? And so some Bibles leave it out, but they clearly leave out the 37 just because it's not 100% clear as in the earliest, uh, earliest transcripts. But verse 37 is key, and so I want to explain this to you. Whether it should or shouldn't be there, it really explains the heart of what it means to accept Jesus Christ and be baptized. 8.37 says this, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch responds, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so we see this gospel call, and like, so what are you going to do with this? And he's like, I believe with all my heart. If you believe with all your heart, then let's follow through with the rest. I believe with all my heart. Jesus is the Son of God. And so we're seeing clearly a parallel between here, a connection between being saved and being baptized that we've already seen in Acts and we're gonna see throughout the whole Bible. Professing faith in Jesus and baptism is, is like professing love for somebody in the marriage ceremony. But I love you with all of my heart. The guy says to his girl, well then marry me, sweetheart. Stand up and tell the world that you love me and commit to me for your whole life. Honey, I love you so much I will do anything, including standing up in front of a bunch of people and telling them that I love you and I will be for you and you will be for me for our whole lives. The natural result of loving somebody is the commitment and the public identity with them for a lifetime, the Natural result of responding to the gospel is not like I want to go hide this thing now. I want to go and keep it to myself and let no one know. The natural result is like, I love the Lord Jesus so much. I've seen all that he's done for me. My, my heart is encapsulated by the reality of his beauty. I simply want to now stand with him and identify with him in the waters of baptism and say, hey, hey, I'm not just telling you I love you. I'm showing you in the world I love you at the same time. Through the waters of baptism. The eunuch's like, this is incredible. I mean, I can have forgiveness of sins. I don't have to carry guilt and shame. I mean, I mean there's a, 
A way that I don't have to even go in the temple. I can just meet with God. This is awesome. I am in. Look, there's some water. I believe what keeps me from being baptized. It really should be the heart of every believer. It's not just what we preach. It's what we do. I love Jesus. I've seen all that he's done for me. What, what would keep me from being baptized? See, in the New Testament, it's, a, it's an important ordinance that, God left, that Jesus left us. He left us communion and baptism, two ways to express our faith and, and know the full reality of Jesus in our lives. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Jesus modeled for us baptism. Jesus not only told us to be baptized, he's like, oh, I'll go first. If anyone didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. We see in Matthew, in the early parts of Matthew, chapter three and four, here's Jesus walking the waters of baptism. Not being sprinkled as a baby, not any other way, but walking into the full waters where he is going to reveal to us what he was revealing to us in his baptism, what he was gonna do for us, and then what every believer is called to follow him in is he's gonna die to himself and then be raised to brand new life in his heavenly father. And this is simply what baptism is. This is part of our call as believers. We don't just share the gospel. We call to response. It's not just good to know the gospel. We learned that last week with Simon, right? He knew it all, but he didn't respond. An unsaving faith. But to respond in a way that's clear and and accurate and obvious. This is the model that we have in scriptures. It's so cool that This is a desert place, remember, and all of a sudden there's water. How does that happen? Clearly, God made the meat at the right place in the right time for this all to go down and make it really obvious to all of us. It's a great picture in so many ways. The gospel is water to a dry land. The gospel is refreshment to a parched soul. Where there is belief, God provides the water. And there is water, there ought to be believers being baptized. Here's the word baptized comes from. It comes from the Greek word baptizo, which comes from the root word bapto, which is a term in the first century for immersing a garment first into bleach and then into dye. So you take the garment, you put it into bleach, then you put it into dye, it would change, they cleanse the cloth and then change the color of the cloth. And so in the early days when they would, when they would change a cloth, its color, you're said to baptize it. And so really what the eunuch is saying is he's like, like a cloth is like cleansed and the color is changed, so I want my heart to be cleansed fully and the color changed. I want my heart to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I want the color to be changed from being black as sin to being white as snow and righteousness. And so really what he was doing is living out Romans chapter six here, claiming that he is dead to himself dead to himself, being washed by the blood of Jesus and being raised to a brand new life. Here's ultimately what he is doing. Here's ultimately what we are called to do in our lives, what we're called to preach to others as we preach the gospel. In the New Testament, it's it's believe and be baptized. They're so closely entwined. Some people misunderstand this whole thing and think that you have to be baptized to be saved. It's not it, but they're so closely entwined. It's, it's, It's like part of the natural step of like, I believe and I'm baptized. And here's what we're called to do, to announce to the world my faith in Jesus and renounce to the world to announce to the world my faith in Jesus and renounce the world before my Lord. And every believer on the salvation path ought to have had one step in the spring of life called the waters of baptism. Baptism really is what stirs the stale waters of our souls and gets them rushing, 
with the life of Jesus Christ. And this is really a game changer for us. Why are we talking about baptism today? Because it's right here. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Stop the chariot. And they both went down into the water and Philip has a beautiful expression, says, you profess your love for Jesus? Let's do this. Let's solidify all these internal things that are happening and let's solidify them so when you leave from this place, you're not gonna be like, what happened? And so somewhere in all of this conversation that Philip and the eunuch are having, he must have explained that this is the reality of a saving faith. This is part of your coming to Christ as you now take an action step in the waters of baptism. I want to reiterate, it's not baptism that saves us, but we're reminded by the story and by the video, the, the, the truth that baptism is an important part of our lives as, as, as Christians. It's a holy opportunity to share in the mystery of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a profound and memorable experience that identifies the believer with Jesus Christ and gives spiritual strength to walk the Christian faith, and it opens the door to great blessing, the greater blessing of obedience as we live our lives for the glory of Jesus. And as we look at this whole passage, as we live our lives on mission, we realize the first step to being on mission is that we are saved and baptized in Jesus Christ. That opens a door to the fullness of hearing the voice of the Lord and, and, and seeing the path we're supposed to get on and having eyes wide to the realities of those around us. It starts with us being willing to, to follow Jesus, humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness of our sin, follow Jesus, and follow him right into the waters of baptism and right out into a newness of life. So we're going to end this service. Philip says, here's, here's, here's water. What, must, what, what prevents me from being baptized? Of course, so the eunuch says that Philip's like, nothing, nothing, come. And so we're going to just take a few minutes here and a few seconds to allow a couple of our people from our church that have experienced the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ to share with you their story. What prevents them from being baptized? Nothing today. They just want to tell you how much God has done in their lives and profess the testimony of, of his name. But I also want to encourage you with this. Many, many times we've done this, and many times people have sat there uh, watching others, heart beating, knowing that I'm a believer. I've never been baptized yet. I know I ought to be in that tank. I want to profess my love for Jesus Christ. I want to tell people the, the reality of what God has done in my life. I want to be closer to Jesus. And so I encourage you today that we have all the things you have we, that you need in the back. If you, today you're sitting there like Rick was last year at this time and saying, man, I need to do this. I want to do this. God is calling me to do this. Come and, and also share in this uh, great reality, this, this great reality of what baptism is and the, the great ordinance that Jesus left us in the waters of baptism. Look at, look at the eunuch. He didn't have all the knowledge, right? He's just learning. He's brand new, but yet he came. You don't have to have all the knowledge. He wasn't all cleaned up. He wasn't all fixed up. You don't have to be all cleaned up and fixed up. Verse 37, that's not in our text, but it's in some of the early manuscripts. What's it say? If you believe with all your heart, you love Jesus with all your heart, then nothing prohibits you from being baptized. That's part of the amazing grace of Jesus, is the message of the gospel, that God bids us come as we are, and he accepts us, and he embraces us, and then he changes us from the inside out. That is the message that we proclaim and the message that we live out today here in front of you. Why don't we stand together to sing this last song, This Is Amazing Grace. And as we do, Brett is going to be uh, bringing some of the, the baptism, come on, stand up, stand up, some of the baptism candidates out for us. If, if you're stirred today and you want to be baptized this morning as well, why don't you come as well? The elders will be leading you out. Come and, and allow uh, this to be a monumental day in the step of faith as you follow Jesus Christ. Let's just bask right now in the wonderful grace of Jesus.